So we're finishing up song chapter one tonight. These are the last three verses of the first chapter of Song of Solomon. So I'm going to read these last three verses for us and then we can dive into some of the symbolism here and what the Lord's wanting to get across to us. This is Song chapter one, starting in verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. And that's the bridegroom speaking. And then the bride responding, verse 16, How handsome you are, my beloved, and so delightful. Indeed, our bed is luxuriant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters, junipers. So there's a lot in there, a lot of adjectives, a lot of descriptions. In, uh, in these verses, really what's happening, my little short synopsis, is Jesus is re-emphasizing the beauty of the bride and his affections for her as he highlights her loyalty to him. That's happening in verse 15. And uh, I say re-emphasizes because he's, he's called the bride beautiful multiple times in chapter 1 here. This is not a new theme, but it's a re-emphasization. I don't know if that's a word, just made it up. Looking to him, the bride responds with a fivefold declaration of faith and worship. And that's verses 16 through 17, her response. So we're, we're picking up from where we left off two weeks ago. We were at the king's table, enveloped in his presence. The praise perfume was going forth. And, and now Jesus is speaking to us about how beautiful we are in his grace. He declares our beauty to us twice. And in between calls us my darling or his darling, which he also referred to us in verse 9 when he was comparing us to the mayor of Pharaoh. This word, my darling, as, as we've already talked about, is literally translated lover friend. So it's speaking of his affection for us in the midst of our beauty to him. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. So he's emphasizing those two aspects, our beauty to him and his affections for us. To be the darling of the Lord is to be his friend and lover as we touch his heart even in our weakness. Our beauty to God is connected to our friendship with him and our sincere love for him that is continually growing in our hearts. Our beauty actually moves him to be affectionate toward us. It's not a static love, but a responsive one. I think that's... That may not seem very important to acknowledge that God's love for us isn't static. It's constant, but it's not static. God's love overflows toward us at all times. He, he loves us as we are from eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. But his love also responds to our beauty. His, his affections for us are responsive, just as our love to him is responsive. He moves in the same way. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. So we're beautiful to God, even in our weakness, for three reasons. And we've talked about this in the past. First, we're lovely because we received the gift of righteousness. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Second, when we're born again, the Spirit of God put a willing spirit in our hearts to say yes to him and to move toward him. And third, God sees us through the lens of our eternal destiny and identity as the bride of Christ. So those are the three main reasons that we are, we are beautiful to him. 
Jesus pursues each of us as his darling ones. As we continually confess God's heart for us in confidence, we will rapidly grow deeper spiritually. I thought this is a really important statement. We will never grow in God apart from a context of being enjoyed by him. I'll say that again. We'll never grow in God apart from a context of being enjoyed by him. That's my darling. I enjoy you, my lover. As long as we feel ashamed, we'll run, we will distance ourselves from God. But if we feel lovely to God, we'll run toward him, even in the midst of sin. Each of us can declare in faith, I'm the Lord's favorite. I'm the disciple whom he loves. As we grow in revelation of God's love for us, we will also gain revelation of his love for others and literally gain his love for other people. That's an important aspect to this, that as we continue to understand and receive revelation of God's love toward us, his affections toward us, it naturally moves our hearts toward others. I think of the Thessalonians scripture, let love increase and abound. You know, it, it's, not, it's not just for us and God, but it actually transforms us to see others the way that he sees them as well. I put a couple great scriptures there. These are good memory verses or things to meditate on. John 15, 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. That's Jesus speaking. Or John 21, 20, it's funny, in, in the uh, Gospel of John, John never refers to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this is just a great example. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his chest at the supper. And we can view ourselves that way. Just as John had that revelation as an old man, being the disciple whom Jesus loved, and even while they were friends, walking on the earth with Jesus, he leaned against his chest he had that type of intimate friendship, that intimate relationship with Christ. Jesus also, in this scripture, declares to the bride that her eyes are like doves. And this is some symbolism. You know, there's a lot of scriptures in, in the Bible about doves. But most of the time, when you're thinking about doves, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can talk about when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So all three members of the Trinity were present there. The Father speaking, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the Holy Spirit descending like a dove onto Jesus and remaining. And Jesus, the Word of God, the Son of God, the flesh of God, being baptized. So it's kind of a cool thing that the Lord chose to use this symbol like a dove in all four Gospels to represent his Spirit. It, this speaks of three details. A lot of people will talk about these three details of being like the Holy Spirit and being a dove, having eyes like doves. It speaks of our single-minded pursuit of Christ, our loyalty to Christ, and our perspective of and with Christ. So if we go to page two here, kind of break those concepts down a little bit. The first one, just to highlight, is that doves have no peripheral vision, or you might say that they have binocular uh, vision. Or if you've ever looked through binoculars, that's what it's like to have doves' eyes, quite literally. They, they can't see anything other than what they're looking at. Whereas we have peripheral vision, where we can see both what we're looking at and what's around us, or if you are... Uh, 
an animal of prey, a lot of times you have a different type of vision because your eyes are on the sides of your head. So you can see all the way around you almost all the time. I grew up with horses and they can see you while you're sitting on their back. They can look at you from their head being in front of you. But doves can only see what they're looking at. They have binocular vision. Mated doves, it's pretty cool to see. You can look up videos of mated doves. And what they do is they're gazing at each other. Their eyes are locked with each other. And they'll mimic each other throughout the day. So what one does, the other one does in sync. And in the same way, Jesus is seeing our single-minded pursuit of him, not looking to the left, to the right, but fixing our eyes on him. And he, in turn, is fixing his eyes on us. So it's kind of like this... This dance, this, these eyes locked with each other. And he's saying, your eyes are like doves. I see you looking at me. I see your eyes fixed on me. Whatever I'm doing, you're doing. It's the concept of whatever he saw the Father do, he did when he was on the planet. Now he's saying to us, you're seeing me and you're doing what, I've, what I'm doing. You're looking at me in the scriptures. You're looking at the way I interacted and you're mimicking me. You're, you're seeing me and my response to trials. You're seeing me in my response to uh, other people, and you're mimicking the way that I responded. This is a good scripture, Matthew 6.22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, or that word clear can mean single, or simple, or perfect, your whole body will be full of light. The second aspect, the loyalty of a dove, doves only mate once in their lifetime. So both mates will actually care for their young equally. Doves are, are one of the few types of birds that both parents will feed the young. Most of the time, only the mother will feed the young when they've hatched. But doves ha- are two-parent homes. <laughs> they, both the male and the female doves take care of the young equally, and they share the burden equally. They can create... The, the stuff that they regurgitate to feed their young, usually only female birds can do that, but both the male and the female doves can do that. So I kind of think of that as, as our uh, being yoked with Christ, you know, our co-laboring with him, even when we're discipling younger believers, how we are equally pouring into them, that the Holy Spirit through us is pouring into them and their intimate relationship with Christ is pouring into them. And it forms this kind of parent relationship when we're discipling young believers. Really cool concept. Um, This speaks of our loyalty to Christ, serving no other gods and rejecting idolatry. Now, this isn't really to be pulled into humanity, but another thing to note is that even if one of the doves dies... If the dove has already mated, it will not find another mate. So that's how loyal doves are, is that they will literally only mate with one dove in their lifetime. Now, that does not mean that it's unloyal, that if your spouse dies and you remarry, that that's somehow a picture of disloyalty. That's not what I'm trying to get across, but doves are one of those few animals that will only mate once. So that speaks of our loyalty to him. And then the third aspect of the the dove symbolically is the eyes of the Holy Spirit. It's his perspective. He allows us to see Jesus rightly. It's the Ephesians 1.17, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And it allows us to live our lives through the perspective of being seated with him in heavenly places. We want to see Jesus and our lives with the Holy Spirit's perspective. And in the same way, when Jesus looks in our eyes, he sees the eyes of the indwelling spirit. 
staring back at him. So those three aspects of having Dove's eyes are very important. And this theme will come back uh, throughout the Song of Songs. He will continually call us a dove or tell us our eyes are like doves. We'll even tell him that his eyes are like doves at one point in the song. So this is a great thing to meditate on, the symbolism of the Spirit. And it's also interesting, too, that the word for spirit, ruach, in the Hebrew is actually a feminine word. And when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being the paraclete, it's, it's similar to when he created Eve in the garden to be a helpmate to Adam. So a lot of this symbolism has to do with us being his sister, his bride, his co-heir, his co-laborer, and that the Holy Spirit actually teaches us how to do that with Christ by doing that with us. And he partners with us on the inside of being that helpmate to Jesus, the paraclete to Jesus. Really interesting concept, things that you don't really think about a whole lot. So now it's time for the bride's response. This is uh, verses 16 and 17. She kind of, we kind of break this down into five things. Handsome, beloved, delightful, the, the bed and the house. So those, those five aspects are kind of, a lot of people call this the five-fold response of faith by the bride. So I'll just read the 16 and 17. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so delightful. Indeed, our bed is luxuriant, or our couch is luxuriant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters, junipers, or firs. So as, as the bride receives revelation of her beauty to God, he's saying, how beautiful you are. Behold, how beautiful you are. She responds by seeing with the dove's eyes. He says, you have dove's eyes, and then she sees with the dove's eyes. She sees Jesus as handsome, her beloved, and so delightful. And we can continually declare these three truths, that he is beautiful, the beautiful God. He's the handsome God, the, be- the beautiful one. That's The whole worship tonight was just about his beauty and us looking at his beauty. He is our beloved. He's the one that we love. We can declare that to him. I love you, Jesus. And it's never too much to say that. You're beautiful. I love you. You're beautiful. You- I love you. You delight my soul or you bring joy to my soul. You, you bring pleasures to my soul. Delighting in God is the pleasurable experience of seeing his beauty and growing in love for him. So those three attributes work together. We see his, beautiful, his, his beauty, we see that he is beautiful, and it brings delight to us. We love him, it brings delight to us. We receive revelation, it brings delight to us. It causes us to love him more. A revelation of his beauty causes us to love him, and it's delightful. Those three aspects are, are always working hand in hand. As we continue to walk with Jesus in obedience, abiding in his love, our joy or our delight will be full. We can see that in, in uh, John chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking in verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love, that obedience piece. We grow in love and we remain in love by obeying. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be made full. So there is joy in obedience. There's joy in abiding and remaining in the love of Christ by obeying His commandments. 
Psalm 16, 11, everybody knows this verse. You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Pretty cool. Just meditating on that, that picture. Just being with him, we can be filled with joy. There's this evermore, forever increasing of pleasures just at his right hand. Being with him. You know, better is one day in his courts than thousands elsewhere. There's, there's so many things we can meditate on and just growing in intimacy with him and how delightful it can be. He's not a God that as we get closer to him, the, the more horrible we feel. You know, a lot of times I think we approach God and we're expecting a rebuke, but instead he gives us a kiss. Or we're expecting a closed fist and instead he opens his hand and we see the scars from the cross. He's, he's never heavy handed with us. There's always delight. There's joy in his presence. Abiding in the love of Jesus brings us into rest and confidence. So we're talking about the bed, the house, the rafters, the beams. This is all a picture of our rest in him and our confidence in him. The bride has found herself now reclining on a luxuriant bed. The word for luxuriant can mean fresh when it's applied to oil. So fresh oil that's just been been pressed. Or it can be flourishing. Or it can be green when referring to plants or fields. Uh, a lot of places that use the word green in scripture, this, this word translated green, it's talking about it being overly abundant. I mean, like, it's so, so, so green. I remember, uh, like, 10 years ago, I went on a trip to Europe, and I was blown away with how green Luxembourg was. I mean, just moss everywhere, vines everywhere, every inch of that country is green. And that's, you know, being from Colorado, you don't see a whole lot of green all the time. It's mostly brown. (laughs) Or if it's a pine tree, it's kind of green. But this bright, Luxuriant green is kind of this picture of the couch or the bed of the Lord. And it's where we rest. We rest, you know, he makes us lie down in green pastures. It's where we rest. You know, and we talked about where do you feed your flock and where do they lie down at noon? They only lie down when they're full. So we're being filled. There's this overabundance. It's anointed. The fresh as in oil, this luxuriant bed is anointed with fresh oil. There's the, the anointing of intimacy in his presence. It speaks of our confidence in the grace of God, which allows us to rest in him. We can rest for two reasons, because we've been justified by faith, I equate that to flourishing, and because we've been given access to God's intimate presence, which I, re- I equate that to the fresh oil, his intimate presence. So here on page three, here's these. I thought these four scriptures go really well with that out of the New Testament. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And something interesting there is the word peace means to be made one or to be made one again, as if something was separated and then reunited. And uh, I remember through my growing up in my dad's Bible studies, he would always highlight that to be at peace with God means to be at one with him, one with him again. 1 Corinthians 6.17, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. We've been given access to his intimate presence. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 
because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. There's that confidence. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. That confidence again, knowing there's no shame, there's no condemnation, there's no separation, there's nothing I can do to separate myself from God. You know, I even think of death nor life nor angels, powers, present things, things in the future, height nor depth, any created thing can separate us from the love of God. There's a confidence there as we come to rest. And, and remember, this is all coming from Him declaring our beauty, calling us His lover friend. And then us responding to that. You're beautiful. I love you. You bring delight to me. And in that place, there's a confident rest. The green couch. In the house, the beams and the rafters of the house refer to the strength in the structure of our dwelling with Christ. The bride declares that the beams are cedar and the rafters are junipers or fir trees. Cedar and fir were the most permanent, expensive, and fragrant wood in Solomon's day, and they're also the two types of trees that were used in building the temple. They resisted decay more than any other wood. They were strong. They were intended to be permanent. You made something out of cedar or juniper fir trees because you didn't want it to rot away. You didn't want it to decay. You wanted it to stay for a very long time. And, it, and whenever you talk about wood in the temple, it's actually symbolic of humanity. So Jesus becoming a man, that's, it's his humanity where the wood in the temple symbolizes that. And I didn't put this in the notes, but it's interesting that a lot of times cedar would be an image of life, whereas the fir tree would be an image of death because fir trees were often used to make um, caskets when people were buried. So even, even in life and in death, that humanity, the, the fragility of humanity, but it being this strong and durable dwelling, being made out of Christ's physical frame, that he is the, the, the durability. He is the strength. Because he came as a man and died, we are stable. We're in Christ. Nothing can pull us out of that. Our dwelling with the Lord is strong and durable, it will not decay or fade away. Jesus became a man so that he could build a house for us to dwell in forever. Here's some scriptures. Ephesians 2, 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being a cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.5, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. John 14.2, In my Father's house are many rooms. It's Jesus speaking. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is, is preparing this house, and we're in it now spiritually. We're, we're dwelling in Him as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling. He is the dwelling. And so she says, our dwelling, our house, our cedars, our rafters, junipers. So let me read the whole thing one more time. 
and then I'll pray for us. So this is Song 1, 15 through 17, the very end of the chapter. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are, and our response. Your eyes are like doves, then our response. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so delightful. Indeed, our bed is luxuriant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters junipers. Father, I ask you to show us how beautiful we are to you. Show us your affections toward us. Show us the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, giving us a single eye, the lamp of the soul, that we'd be full with light. God, we declare that you are beautiful. Jesus, you are beautiful. We sang it tonight. You're beautiful. We love you. You bring joy to us. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forever. God, we declare that we can rest in your love, in the abundance of your love, the flourishing field of your love. It's anointed with fresh oil. It overflows with provision. God, our dwelling with you is stable. Nothing can separate us from your love. There's nothing that anything could do to get in the way of our relationship. There's no condemnation. But you've given us the gift of righteousness. You've seated us with you in heavenly places. And you've made us one with God, at peace with God once again. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.